0: Hello, welcome to Into the Fire, a Burning Coal Theater Company podcast series.
1: Hi, uh, this is Jerome Davis. I'm the Artistic Director of Burning Coal Theater Company uh, and um, Uh, This is Into the Fire, the Burning Cold Theater Company podcast series on all things theatrical. As some of our listeners know, we're getting ready to uh, open a production of uh, Weber and Rice's musical Evita. Um, And uh, we have a special guest with us today, Dr. Brenda Wirth, who teaches um, at American University in Washington, D.C., and uh, has written books on um, South uh, American uh, politics and art, I think, uh, mm-hmm. uh, is a broad way of describing that. But Dr. Worth, I'll welcome you and then ask you if you would elaborate just a bit on your um, research and writing uh, sure. and teaching.
0: Thank Dr. you Dr. So yes, thank you so much. It's really a pleasure to be here. And um, I was so thrilled to hear that you're doing a production of Evita. I only wish I could be there um, to see it in person. Um, So as you said, I I do have um, a background in theater and performance, um, specifically Argentine performance, um, and I'm really interested in the politics um, of theater um, and thinking about how performance and cultural production contribute to shaping our perception of identity and gender. So this has sort of been a main focus um, in a lot of my work. Um, And one of the things that I'm really interested in is how um, the arts also contribute to creating icons and myths. So for example, you asked about my teaching and um, I teach a course on icons and identity in Latin America. um, And we talk a lot about Che Guevara and Eva Peron. Um, So very fascinating, controversial figures whose cultural representation at this point far exceeds sort of the historical documentation on their lives. Um, So I'm really interested in the afterlives of these figures um, and the way that, um, you know, there are new reiterations and perspectives of their lives being created um, at all times. um, And sort of the meaning of their mythology shifts depending on the context, on political agendas, um, decisions of artists um, and how they want to adapt existing productions. So I'm really interested also in hearing about the production that you're doing um, at Burning Cool. But that is, um, you know, really I would say what I'm interested in um, in performance. If you think about the iconic status um, the transnational identity of figures like Eva Perón, um, they're really achieved through mediation of her image through the arts, you know, whether it's literature or film or performance or media, or pop culture. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think it's really, really um, a fascinating phenomenon. Um, yes. Yeah.
1: It's what's uh, what's left uh, uh, after we go either our own work or uh, how others uh, present us uh, I'm reading the John Lee Anderson biography of Shay right now. I don't know if oh, okay. you know that, uh, but um, the story about his um, early uh, mm-hmm. business uh, venture as a shoe salesman struck me. As, <laughs> particularly, uh, not not like the the chai that we no. have come to know and love.
0: No, not not one of the the details that's highlighted in in the uh, very <laughs> abundant cultural production that's been produced on che Guevara, Yeah.
1: So sometimes uh, we we in the arts can have this idea mm-hmm. that we're kind of. Um, you know, shouting into the darkness. And, (laughs) and, uh, but I think you're, you probably, it sounds like you have a different attitude about that, that you you do believe that the decisions that artists um, make can collectively and perhaps even individually have some impact on the broader perception of things. Is that a fair assessment?
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think that's a, a really interesting question. Um, sort of like the the responsibility of artists, right? Or what is the ethical responsibility of artists? And I think it, it becomes difficult when we're talking about past lives, right? Um, you know, I think about um, Alan Parker and his statement that he wanted to offer an objective accurate portrayal of um, Ava Peron. And um, I think that, you know, as well-intentioned as sometimes we are, um, we rely on the archive, right? Um, And, you know, the archive, it's um, an exceptional and essential record of the past, but it's also curated by a human. It's not free from bias. So um, I think, you know, um, it's it's a difficult question sort of, what artists uh, responsibility is ethically? Um, Can art be misleading? Um, Of course, does it produce sort of an ethical conundrum sometimes of course, but what are the benefits? Um, As you were saying, like it can create this incredibly rich exchange of ideas and perspectives, right? Um, so I think, you know, unlike historians or journalists, I think artists view um, past lives as material for their work, right? So mm-hmm. they can create, you know, incredible fictionalization um, of people's lives and that work can in turn produce you know new questions, new perspectives, interesting dialogue, interesting exchange. And I think about, um, you know, the Ellen Parker film that came out in um, 96, and it was a very, you know, Hollywood version um, based largely on anti-Paranist perspectives. And we can talk about that a little bit. But then in 1997 in Argentina, um, a film came out by Carlos de Sanso in 1997. And that film Showed a completely different version of Eva Perón, so almost sort of in response to the Parker film. Um, Whereas, you know, in Parker, we see like this transnational, depoliticized version of Eva Perón. Um, in the Desanzo version, we see a very political, ambitious Eva Perón, you know, on par with Juan Perón, and he really sort of resurrects her revolutionary potential. So all of a sudden, then you have these, you know, two perspectives in dialogue. And this is all through artistic representation. So, yeah, I think, you know, art adaptation, um, reiteration, right, of um, these. Icons and myths um, in different forms with different messages. It's it's so important.
1: The the, um, the icons in the play uh, besides uh, Perón and Eva uh, yeah. uh, include uh, Che, who was Argentinian, but um, yeah. but wasn't really around when when she <laughs> was rising to power. What, what do you uh, yeah. make of that uh, and his presence in the play? Uh, I'm curious to know because I yeah. think a lot of people think that. That he's talking to her or talking to the right. other characters and he's really talking to us I think. Yeah.
0: Yes. I mean the Che Guevara figure is so interesting um you know he's kind of ambiguous um and I sort of I he is like this omniscient narrator figure right mm-hmm. um and I, I draw on um Marta Savigliano's work a lot um she's a historian and she's talked about this very, you know, strange Che Guevara figure. You know, Che and Eva, they never met. Um, and yet here he is, you know, in the musical, in the film. Um, and, you know, I, what I've read is, is a little critical of his role because he's very um, paternalistic. You know, they kind of like strip him of his political identity. So he becomes sort of more of like the voice of reason. Um, and then it kind of turns into sort of like this, Paternalistic presence um, in the work.
1: He's a crank.
0: Uh, I'm
1: sorry. He's a crank. Yes. <laughs> He's always saying, uh, <laughs> "Wait a minute, you didn't do that." Uh, you know. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah.
0: yeah. So I mean, really, um, really strange. Um, I, I do. I think that you know, it's it's odd. It's certainly a historical inaccuracy. On the other yes. hand. It's really interesting to juxtapose these two icons, right? I mean, you have probably two of the most prominent Latin American icons um, in this work. And I think there are some interesting parallels too between them. I mean, they were young when they died. You know, Eva was 33, Che was 39. They were very charismatic. Um, You know, they um, also, you know, when they, when they died, sort of an interesting parallel in the whereabouts of their bodies was unknown for many, many years. Um, and I wonder also what that had to do with, um, you know, the explosion of their iconicity, right? So I think there are some interesting parallels between the two. Artistically, I think it it was um, a sort of a, a unique decision to include them too.
1: I think so too. Um, Both of them, yeah. What mm-hmm. we are doing, um, uh, keep, Keep quiet. Uh, but uh, we have decided that the, that it, that Che is 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 the ensemble, um, and so we're going to have different people step out at different times to make these comments, rather than having a single individual embody the ideas that you know that that the the man is thought to have represented to some degree. Um, and I, I think in that way, it'll feel more like a Greek chorus uh, rather than uh, uh, than a character per se. But but I do think the ideas were there. And, and although they didn't meet, I do think it's entirely possible that his um, m- maturing, if that's the right word, into his uh, um, so, certainly socialist, if not communist uh, ideology, was uh, in some way fueled by... The disappointments, perhaps, that he um, felt uh, um, in his own country, even though he wasn't there to participate in them at that time. Uh, yeah. che, che had a, a an interesting relationship with other uh, socialist or communist leaders mm-hmm. in uh, mm-hmm. Cuba, I guess, and. Um, other countries and and um, can you tell me just a little bit about his his growth from a s- sort of show offy uh, kid um, uh, to um, to this uh, world leader and I- iconic figure that the US government felt um, strongly enough about to, as I understand it, to, to be present at his execution, to have a, a member of our central intelligence agency present when he was executed. Mm-hmm. Um, what, what was that? I, I'm not gonna just talk about Jay, I promise, but uh, but I find that part of it fascinating. And I, I do wanna get back to Ava in just a moment.
0: Well, I, I mean, I think that's a really, that is an interesting question. And, I'm, and I think it's an important question um, because it, it's sort of, um, it tries to re-politi- repoliticize the figure um, who has been so depoliticized in the, the musical, the film. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, I think, um, yeah, I mean, his trajectory, I think very much um, is one that was rooted in the cold war politics of the era. Um, and so you're, you're right, I mean, his maturity his um, sort of coming of age, his political coming of age, um, definitely culminated in this moment of, um, you know, very, very um, extreme intervention um, on part of the U.S., right? Um, and as as you said, right, so the U.S. was so concerned about his... Um, his revolutionary um, influence that they wanted to make sure that the threat was eradicated by being present um, at his death. So, um, you know, I do, not I'm not a, a historian and I um, I don't know as much about um, Che Guevara. I, I mostly sort of know about the way his image has been, mm-hmm. um, you know, reappropriated um, so many, so many different ways um, by, you know, very different um groups and, and interests. And I think that again, sort of, that's the interesting parallel between him and Eva Bedon is just thinking about these iconic figures and the images that have circulated. There's that um, photograph of Che Guevara. Um, and I forget now the photographer's name, but of course we all know the one that we're talking about. Um, you know, uh, I think, uh, it's, it's on the cover of one of Madonna's albums, right? To like draw a connection <laughs> again between her representation of Evita and her appropriation of Che Guevara's image as well. So, um, but it's a really interesting question. And, you know, um, you know Perón was very um, anti-communist, of course, and banned the communist party. So um, you're absolutely right that Che Guevara was probably very, very disappointed with um, yeah. the direction his country had gone in.
1: But he, but he uh, through Ava, was able to enlist the support of the unions uh, at the time in, in his yeah. rise to power, yeah. uh, which is a neat trick if you've got the military behind you as well. <laughs> so, yes. Uh, yeah, yes. What, uh, what, uh, what does the play get wrong about uh, Peron um, uh, uh, and parent Peronism?
0: Yeah, um, well, so one thing that is really interesting about um, the both the, the musical and the film um, is that they rely very heavily on two biographies published in 1952, um, The Bloody Precedent by Fleur Cowles and The Woman with the Whip by Mary Main. Um, so um, Tim Rice's lyrics draw um, almost exclusively from uh, The Woman with the Whip and um, those Those authors, actually um, both journalists, they traveled to Argentina, um, and they met um, predominantly with upper class um, Argentines to talk about Eva Perón, and the upper class was overwhelmingly anti-peronist. So that anti-peronist perspective is present um, in the representation of Evita um, as sort of, um, you know, an opportunistic. seductive, like driven by revenge, right? A figure who sort of sleeps her way to the top. So that's all like the anti-Paranist perspective that's found in those biographies. Um, And historians since have questioned um, a lot of the content in those biographies saying that, well, it looks like these, you know, these accounts are based largely on anecdotes and gossip and rumors. <laughs> so,
1: That's very uh, and are, yeah.
0: I know. Right. So um, I would say that what um, the musical and the film do very much is, um, you know, highlight that anti parentist perspective. Um, I think that it's, Another factor um, to consider is that in 1955, when Perón was ousted, there was a period of prescription in which even the mention of Perón's name was prohibited from, you know, 1955 to 1973. Um, So there wasn't a lot being written about his life or Eva Perón's life during that time um, in Spanish. So I think that that contributed as well to the sort of dominance that these two biographies have had. And then they were taken up by, you know, Rice and Weber and Parker, and you know they continue. They continue to sort of um, be reiterated in in new productions. So I I think that um, that's the first thing um, about the the musical and the films. They're very anti-parenist. Um, uh, as we talked about already, sort of, um, you know, juxtaposing Eva and Che. Um, other inaccuracies are, um, for example, um, in the film, at least, I know in the musical, Eva Peron is not dancing tango. Um, I think that the tango dancers are in the background, but um, Eva Perón did not dance tango. Um, So, you know, that's just, I think, another attempt to sort of globalize or, you know, create a Hollywood version of this.
1: Tango must be the appropriate dance because it's the only one we know. (laughs) Exactly,
0: exactly. Yeah.
1: Um, Interesting. Uh, Mm -hmm. And uh, she she was from a very um, poor background. Uh, Mm -hmm. You know, we know that her parents were not married. Her, Her father was married to another... Woman, actually, uh, um, mm-hmm. and um, that put her in that time, in that place, at the very lowest rung, I guess, of society. And was that the primary mm-hmm. reason for the military's or for the upper classes' uh, opposition to Perón? Uh, or were there other things about his policies that concerned mm-hmm. them? Um, That's. Um...
0: That is really interesting. I mean, yes, there's there's certainly um, this uh this this rivalry, right? Um, between particularly um Eva Peron and uh the oligarchy or the upper class um, during that time. Um and you know, Eva Peron, yeah, she she did, she had you know very humble beginnings, her father never recognized her, you know, born into poverty. Went to Buenos Aires when she was 15, um, pursued mm-hmm. acting, you know. So like all of those biographical details are are true. Um and you know, in terms of uh yeah, I, I don't it certainly did not help um yeah. Juan Perón, right? Um, in creating favor with the upper classes, but I think, you know, another thing about Juan Pérez that's very interesting is that he was so attuned to the workers' movement, Mm -hmm. um, and this ended up being one of his major strengths, um, maybe even the reason why he ultimately was elected president. Um, You know, certainly there was that um, historic um, protest, um, October 17th um in 19 I think 43 um where all of the workers sort of assembled um or 45 anyway uh we can edit that okay. <laughs> uh but there was this historic protest where all of the workers assembled um at, on the at the Plaza de Mayo and they yeah. demanded Peron's uh return so he had um, been
1: well, imprisoned at that yes. time yeah yeah and exactly. they had Led led that uh, Mm-hmm. a protest, right? She, she organized it, if I understand correctly. Yeah,
0: yeah. And and so, um, you know, she played a role in, in securing his return. But what that demonstrated is that he had um, created a very loyal following um, of workers in Argentina. And as vice president, he really worked um, to their benefit. So he... For example, um, expanded um, retirement plans, um, paid vacation, he improved access to insurance. Um, One of the um, achievements uh, that might be most important was, um, and when he was president, he increased um, enrollment both in high schools and um, in universities. And so this in turn ultimately helped to bolster the middle class. Um, so he really, really was um, an advocate for the workers. He promoted um, union organizing, for example. Um, and of course, this wasn't going to be um, very, you know, um, or it wasn't going to be looked uh, favorable upon by the, the upper class.
1: So, I mean, yeah. would he Would he have done that without her, do you think, if he had never bumped into her?
0: It's a good question. I mean... That is something that um, I don't, I don't know. She clearly um, was extremely powerful. Um, the fact that she was basically chief negotiator between the union leaders and Bidon and that she did it um, successfully means that she was an extremely competent uh, leader. So it's really hard to say um, how much of an influence she had on some of his decisions. Um, you work? know, and-
1: I'm sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead.
0: Yeah. I mean, you know, uh, an anti parentist perspective would say, Oh, it was all Eva, right. Yeah. You know, where she. <laughs> um, but I don't know. It's a really interesting question.
1: Well, I, I find it very fascinating. I was, I was going to ask, uh, you know, so she would have been in her late uh, mid to late twenties, mm-hmm. I guess. Where where does a young woman like that from that background uh, find the, um, uh, moxie to to do that, to go into a room with uh, union uh, yeah. organizers and, and military people and political yeah. leaders. Where, where does that come yeah. from? I,
0: you know, I don't know. And I love that question because, you know, you know, particularly at this current moment when, you know, we see this, um, the massive feminist uh, mobilizations that are taking place in Argentina, Latin America, um, globally, I think that it's time to sort of reassess uh, the significance of Eva Perón and her figure because I think that in the musical and subsequently in the film, um, her achievements are very much belittled. And I ask the same question you are, like how did she do that? Just given the limitations placed on women, during that time period, Um, she did incredible work. Uh, You know, she founded a a party, the Women's women's Parentist Party. Mm -hmm. She um, founded uh, or she inaugurated hospitals, um, you know, schools, assisted living facilities, children's homes. Um, she was, you know, a chief negotiator uh, between Peron and the unions. Um, she was almost vice president or candidate for vice president. Um, you know, I think that those achievements are are really significant. So astonishing. Yeah. they're astonishing, and they're very much glossed over, I think, in some of the cultural production of her work. So I, I am there with you, asking that question. I think that it's pretty stunning.
1: I find it. Uh, I mean, we talk a lot about uh, people being born with a s- silver spoon in their mouth, and mm-hmm. but then um, it seems like often, as often as not, we see the opposite being true as well. That that when the hurdles are so high mm-hmm. uh, that you you either you know that that if you can clear them, that you're 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 ready to do extraordinary things and so sometimes it may not be quite as much of a gift as we think to to be born into the upper classes and stuff uh, um it's a, it's a fascinating uh Story a fascinating mm-hmm. life altogether, and yeah. I was also thinking that it came in the the context of it was World War Two, although it wasn't affecting that part of the world as much, but or not mm-hmm. yet anyway. But right. uh, uh, but you know we had just had the Red Army you know sweep through Europe and and mm-hmm. essentially win the war despite what was being said uh, in our press and um and and the red army were the army of this uh, very draconian um communist uh, leader and i guess mao was happening at the same time in in china mm-hmm. and so i think there were reasons for for people to be fearful of a yeah. of a worldwide communist uh, takeover I'm just. This is a question that I, I don't know if you're prepared to answer, but I'll ask it: Is were, were they right to be worried about that? Or in hindsight, mm-hmm. if if I don't suggest that Stalin was a good model, uh, but mm-hmm. but if the world had become more socialized um, uh, mm-hmm. during that time, would would that have been such a catastrophe? Um, really,
0: right. Wow, um, <laughs> uh, you know, it is it is really um, it's a difficult question. Um, definitely, uh, I, I don't know if I feel uh, prepared to answer, but I I do think that. Um, so, you know, Argentina um, for a very long time um, refused to abandon um their um support of the axis powers right so yeah. um you know and that caused the us to be very very concerned um and i i think that you know looking then um to the cold war period um there's i think there's there's still a lot of work to to be done on um you know the the intervention um of the US right in Latin America which you know has been um certainly documented and continues to be um documented yeah. through the declassification of Cold War documents um but um I in in terms of it being a a real threat it I think as I'm not a historian it's it's very hard for me to yeah. um, make that evaluation I mm-hmm. um, what I do think is that in retrospect um, what is certain is there there was a perception of threat um, but whether that threat really existed um,
1: yeah. certainly that, some of the people for driving at the the um, Pol pots and people like mm-hmm. that were not uh, not pleasant people, but mm-hmm, then a mm-hmm. lot of the people driving the more um, the capitalist model were yeah. you no know, mm-hmm. angels either. So I don't know. I yeah. find it interesting that he that he rose to power uh, with Eva um, on the backs of the unions and the lower classes, but then mm-hmm, turned on mm-hmm. the communist uh, model. So mm-hmm. quickly. um it's it's a fascinating thing. Um, yeah. Do you, uh, do you have any thoughts about um, where the theater world is right now in terms of its uh, presentation of uh, Latin uh, stories and people's stories? Uh, are we doing better about that uh, or or not so much?
0: Oh, that's really interesting. Um... Hmm.
1: I know you have written, you have a play, you translated a play uh, into English, uh, right? Uh, that oh, yeah. was written by... A...
0: Yes, yes. Yeah, no, um, I, I I do. I have done some translation work um, of theatre. Um, I, so I, I don't know. I think that... Um, Well, what is interesting, I think, in in theater, um, in thinking about current trends in Latin American theater is that um, there's a lot of focus now on um, documentary modes of theater. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I think what's happening is that there is a real interest in exploring lives on stage, um, looking at their biographies, Um, looking at um, sort of autobiographical performance as well, um, and looking at how, um, you know, the archive can assist people in telling, you know, their own stories. Mm -hmm. And I'm gonna do a plug for my um, colleagues uh, book, Staging Latin American Lives. So this is a book that's coming out on documentary theater by Paola Hernandez. Um, and I think that this is sort of a really interesting response to your question. So, um, I don't know if it's that um, people are are doing it better, but I think people are questioning a lot um, the archive that we use uh, you know to in order to create representations of people's lives. Mm-hmm. Um, and sort of like, you know right. So like questioning. Um, even the possibility of accuracy, um, you know, generating sort of more, um, you know, personal portrayals, um, um, yeah, creating sort of, you know, new intimate connections with the audience. Um, So a lot of new questions um, that, you know, are really focusing on um, the archive that we use to sort of, um, create, uh, representations of our lives.
1: I've always, um, uh, I've always felt like, um, that the economics of, uh, of that part of that question is really mm. critical that, um, in the Western world, at least, uh, mm. we, um, we turn away 90 or more percent of the Population, because mm-hmm. we've created these structures that can't be um, accessed unless you can afford to access them. You have to have time, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, you don't mm-hmm. have to. You don't have to be making a lot of money if your mm-hmm. parents have made a lot of money and have given right. it to you. And yeah. you don't have to worry about a babysitter, all the you know uh, those kinds of things, transportation, mm-hmm. um, and so we we take 100 people in a room we send 90 of them out and then we say to the 10 left hey let's make some art Uh, Mm -hmm. and 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 then we wonder why the art that we make isn't representative of um, the people you know Uh, Mm -hmm, and so mm -hmm. i think something's going to have to happen with structures you know and it's going to have to be an economic thing you know you we can say we want to hear those voices all we want but Mm-hmm. until we until they can afford to be in the room um or the room can afford to be with them then uh, uh, i i don't know what else i, I don't know how else the, the the solution will ever be arrived at yeah mm-hmm. um, Um, Well, uh, we've uh, gone past our 30-minute time frame, as we often do. Uh, Is there anything else you'd like to say about uh, Ava Perone or about uh, Weber and Rice's uh, attempt at telling her story?
0: Well, I I think that I've um, touched on most of what I wanted to say, but I, I did want to um, I wanted to thank you for, uh, sure. for doing this production. Um, also, of course, for the interview, but um, I'm really excited to see how it goes. Um, we're, so,
1: we're, we're doing it outdoors. Uh, so uh, it's, it's going to be, uh, um, and it's, it's in an old um, par- park that used to be where the mental health uh, patients uh, in the state were brought, the really oh, severe wow. ones. Yeah. Wow. And, and so there's a lot of history in the building it's not history that's particularly germane to but it is from that era you know it's from the 40s and yeah. 50s that the buildings are that are around us and wow. um, some um, of interesting thing
0: too that's an interesting um, context I guess for the for the
1: for the play for the musical if it doesn't rain us out every night yeah. we're going to give it a shot and see, <laughs> see what happens well dr work thank you very much uh, uh continued success with your writing with your teaching and uh thank you. with your art uh, and uh, and we look forward to uh, uh, maybe running into each other again down the road sometime
0: that sounds great thank you so much thank you for listening Burning Coal's production of Evita is sponsored by The Classical Station. Listen at 89.7 FM or online at theclassicalstation.org. Our production of Evita will run from June 17th through June 27th at Dorothea Dix Park. For tickets and more information, visit us at burningcoal.org or give us a call at 919-834-4001.